Welcome to another episode of Rethinking Business, Success Sauce and Two Pickles, a podcast for business owners and aspiring entrepreneurs to listen, learn, and contribute to the rising tide of business ownership. Every episode features a business owner sharing their rewards, struggles, and lessons learned along the way. This From the Trenches podcast is exactly the secret sauce that every startup needs to start, run, or grow their business. And now for our hosts, Tamara McDuff and Sid Ragona. Good afternoon, everyone. Thanks for listening to another edition of Rethinking Business, Success Sauce and Two Pickles. I'm Tamara McDuff, pickle number one, and I'm here with my co-host, pickle number two, Sid Ragona. Why are you laughing, Sid? Oh, I just love the introduction, that's all. <laughs> well, you are pickle number two. You're the, I am you, pickle number two. Truth, I've, been called, I've been called worse things, by the way. True, true. But I call you enlightened. Enlightened pickle number two, right? Enlightened pickle number two. And truth be told, you're the one that usually gets us into the pickles that we get ourselves out of. Oh, that's right. Blame so me. That's how the pickle comes in. Yeah. That's how the Trouble pickle comes in. That's why the yes, name absolutely. comes in. I was wondering where the pickle. Okay. Got it. <laughs> Yeah, uh, among other things. Yeah. But usually we have to think of things on the fly. We've been asked to do something, give a workshop, give a speech, whatever presentation. And we think that it needs to be done one way. And we get there and find out when we're at the presentation that it's going to be something completely different. So there have been times when we've been actually walking up from the back of the room to the front of the room kind of talking as we get there. Okay, what are we going to do? I don't know. What do we go? Well, you do this, you do that. It sounds like a plan. And by the time we get to the front of the room, we have a plan and we can execute. So no matter what pickle we've gotten ourselves into, we can get out of. So yeah, that's what we that's what we're good at. I get, what, I get us into the pickle. She gets us out. Yeah, pretty much. It's 50-50. <laughs> it's 50, yeah, it's, it's a shared responsibility, right, Tamara? Absolutely. Absolutely. There have been times I've gotten us into a pickle. and then, But sometimes if Sid and I can actually work together and get us both into a pickle, we turn and we ask his wife, Kristen, to get us out. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's absolutely true. Tamara, I gather we have a special guest today. We do. All of our guests are special, but this guest is a, a personal friend of mine. And she, I've known her through SCORE. She's taken several SCORE classes. She was recently a part of the Monroe Community College Launch Your Business uh, Grant uh, Program, where at the end of the program, her and her colleagues in, that were in the class were able to pitch to a funding committee for a part of a $50,000 grant. She has owned her own clothing shop on Park Avenue for several years. It's a custom-made clothing shop. And so here to tell us all about her journey and how SCORE has helped her develop her business is Nita Brown. Nita, welcome to the show. Thank you, Tamara. Thank you, Sid. And I am really excited to be on the show one is just to give back to SCORE, the amount of mentoring and hand-holding that SCORE gave me, and also to share my story with you guys and with everybody at SCORE. So Absolutely. I was born in Ghana. I went to high school there. I also went to high school in a couple of different places like the Czech Republic and the UK. But I ended up in Rochester, New York, because Kodak recruited me here in 2000. 
So right out of coming out of my MBA program at Georgetown, I came to Rochester to work for Kodak doing international treasury work. So how does international treasury end up in fashion? Well, long story short, I will leave the YMCA, Carlson YMCA, which I'm really devastated because they closed on it. I will leave there seven or six, seven in the morning to go to work. And a couple of people from the locker room, two, actually two women, they're like, we really like the way you dress. You need to think about selling it. So never did anything with it until I left Kodak in 2004. So that's when I started thinking about it. And one of the women, Teresa Mazzullo, she's like, you know, you know, I really like the way you combine your Ghanaian outfit with whatever is in your closet. You should really think about it. And so, you know, if you think about it, maybe I could get you angel funded. So that was the first time. So you think in 2006, I'm like, okay, why not? So I was like, I'm going to try and do this. But it was incredible difficult to get production right. Wow. So you were able to get angel funding kind of sort of right off the bat. Is that how that worked? I never got it because oh. I never could get the production right. Oh, I see. Okay. I could never get the production right. The production meaning getting the outfit from Ghana here. Sure. Never get it right. So I never got the angel fund. So she said, you know, go think about it. Relook at it. You know, you can always come back. And I just kind of let, let it be. Right. So in between, I had left Kodak, started a family and decided to start an educational tour company. So I would take people to places that I've known. So by the way, I've lived or worked or studied on all five continents, with the exception of Antarctica, so literally. So most of the places I chose to take the people on educational tours were places either I lived, I have a huge network of people there. So it was Brazil, Ghana, of course, South Africa, Dominica, as in the island. So I had a partner, yeah. So we'll take a group of like, 10, 12 people. And so some of the experience was you were going to know the country either from their cuisine, their architecture, or their clothing. Oh, and I actually got a mention in National Geographic Travel Magazine. You did. Um, now, you got a mention as Mita <laughs> yes, Brown? Have a look. Yes. Or did you... Of the article, yeah. Or did you get a mention as Mansaware? No, because the company was not called Mansaware. It was called Mami Crunchy. Oh, yeah. Okay. So it, it was part of the 10 tours of a lifetime. I was written up in National Geographic Travel Magazine. That's awesome. I know, it was great. So right? how did that translate into Mansaware? And Mansaware, so, actually, can you tell us how it became known, how you gave it that name? Because I know okay. there's a story behind that. Right. So the name Mansa, it was named after my grandmother. Mansa is a birth order name. So in Ghana, depending on the your birth order, there's names with it. So somebody born the second girl or the second boy born to the same parents are called Menu, M-A-N-U. Mansa means the third order of three, the number three. So any girl, consecutive third girl born to the same parents are called Mansa for females. And the masculine is Mensa, like the brainy people, like Mensa people. So... I don't know how many people have said if you know of Kofi Annan, the UN Gen General Secretary. Okay. Kofi yeah. Annan was a and Annan just means to be the fourth consecutive born, born to the same parent. It's a birth order of the number four. So that's what Mansa means. So I decided to name my company after my grandmother. One, because I just really admire her. Okay. 
So she never had any formal education, but she built businesses. And she actually taught me about, you know, money segmentation, moving money around, and she never went to business school. So I say, if I'm going to name a company for someone, it's going to be her because of her acumen, her global view, although she never probably traveled around West Africa. But the quick is, so I said, oh, nobody's going to have that name. All right, name it. Try to go trademark it. You wouldn't believe who has the name. There's a company called Mansa Israel selling T-shirts. <laughs> you never know until you start digging. <laughs> I and know then... until you start really digging out. So before Mika. you go pick a name, really invest in the trademark lawyer. It is worth it. Uh, Nita, was your grandmother alive when you named your company? Yeah. And what did she think about that? Oh, she thought it was good. She thought yeah. it was good. She said it was, yeah, it was interesting. Plus also I named my daughter after her. So my daughter is called Mansa and, you know, she was named after a great grandmother. And then the company is called Mansa. Yeah. So she she died in 2011. So she was able to see you get your company started. Yeah. I mean, she was actually, when I was doing the pre-production, she was actually helping me find out people who could sew for me. So she like, I'll send stuff to her. I'll talk to her about it. And she said, why didn't you try this? And then I'll go and like, nah, it's not someone I want. Because what's critical was because all the designs were going to come from here to Ghana. I needed somebody who was sort of internet savvy a little bit and have a lot of technology at the fingertips. And what I was finding the first time I did this was people who have to go to an internet cafe. That wasn't going to work. And you have, your store is located where? On Park Avenue? I'm on Park Avenue at Oxford Street. Okay. So I'm right across from Magnolias, next to Half Pint and um, Redfern. And are you guys still open? We are still open because we sell an essential commodity, masks. Oh, that's right. When COVID hit, I heard that you had sort of pivoted a little bit and used some of your material to create masks. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. So at the height of COVID, when everything was shut down, Ghana was shut down, so I had no production capacity. Every year, everything else was shut down. I decided to start using my sample fabrics to make face masks. So actually, that's what saved us. It really did. That helped bring in the the necessary revenue for you to keep going. Yes, yes, yes. The other thing is you've done some really unique things in the summer to jumpstart your business. I've been seeing you on Facebook, you know, generally all over. Tell us a little bit about the thought behind your pop-up festivals. Well, basically what happened with the pop-up was normally I do a couple of major shows, festivals, so Park Avenue Festival is one. That's how people find it. And then Clothesline was also one. And then we had all the country clubs, you know, where we go in during November. So a lot of country clubs organize fairs or shows for their members. So what happened is when Clothesline was shut down, Park Avenue was shut down, I decided, okay, I'm going to make my own pop-up. I'm going to put the tent up on the day that would have been Park Avenue or Clothesline and then have my own pop-up show. So like a sidewalk show. And um, that's where that developed. Also, I used to work for the school district all the time, and then I got laid off. So I decided in April, that's it. I'm just going to focus on Mansoir. So it gave me a lot more time and a lot more energy to be kind of creative and focus on the business. Even with the pivot, applying to a lot of grants, you know, like the Joanne grant, for instance. And I was one of the 20 selected nationwide. Joanne Fabrics had a a competition going, like they were selecting 20 people to give them 5,000. In Joanne credits. And wow. I applied for it. And that you was won? One of, the 20, one of the 20 nationwide. That's that perfect. 
Yeah. How did you find all of the grants that you applied for? Because that is a question we get at SCORE all the time, that business owners come in looking for startup capital. And one of the things they want are grants, right? Because they don't want to get locked into a loan. But Literally, I went on the internet and some of the queries I put in was grant, Black entrepreneurs grant, grant for females, anything like that. And I just, and it would just keep bubbling up. Bank who are supporting banks, a lot of banks do support. Urban League was one place that if you were on your list, you heard of the key key bank grant. So you would have been able to get it. Yeah, Urban League was one. Citizens Bank was another. I mean, I applied to that. I never heard of it. So I guess I didn't get it. Um, It was like that. And Joanne, because of fabrics. So I'm either going there for Notion. So basically, it's just an internet search. Okay. Well, that's fair. (laughs) Everything is on the internet. You can Google everything now. I didn't. Also, don't forget, a lot of it is word of mouth. People tell you. So I cannot uh, um, emphasize enough of networking, network, network, network. People you may not even think it will come from. So for our listeners, can you describe the type of clothing that you sell? And can you also describe who is your key client, so to speak? Okay. So what I do sell, I sell dresses, men's shirts, jackets, skirts, blouses, using bold patterns and vibrant Ghanaian prints. And the core concept of Mansour is take this print dress or jacket and mash it up as in mix and match with anything in your closet. Here in the U.S., when we go shopping, doesn't matter whether you're male or female, we tend to buy in solid colors. So you buy pink, you buy blue. We don't get to buy in print. We have like four prints, argyle, polka dot, houndstooth, paisley, right? I used to buy Hawaiian shirts. Does that count? Hawaiian (laughs) shirts. But that's the thing is Hawaiian shirts have been regulated to Hawaiian shirts going to Hawaii for men. (laughs) It's not a print, you know, like houndstooth, you can look back in history, right? It was really popular in the 30s with the Chanel crowd, right? Okay. Don't wear houndstooth anymore. Polka dot always come back each year in a different generation's polka dot. Our gal has been regulated to just sweaters and socks. Paisley, you you see it come in and out, but those were and and then plaid, right? Because of Vivian um, Westwood with Vivian, yeah, the designer. Because of that, plaid has become and then of course uniforms for Catholic schools. But we really don't wear patterns or print. So just imagine you are going to get get an outfit and and a print that's not going to be one of those. Five, well, maybe polka dot. And then you just mix it with anything in your closet. So you're going down the street or you, people see you, they love it, but they can't place where the print it, right? They can't say they're like, oh, maybe it looks African. It could, it could be anywhere. They can't place it. But all they know is that you look sharp and it's gorgeous and they want one and it fits you to the T because it was made to fit your body. So that, that's what, what months away. My 1,500 customers, 60% of them uh, white females, age 35 and above. Then I have Blacks, Hispanics, Latino. I have a few young people, but the average age, I'll probably say, is 45. 45. 45. And how and many sort of West African? Is there a West African market for this? Africa that live in uh, the U.S.? No, they're white white women. White women, okay. They're white, yeah. 40% are white people from all walks of life. Most of them just walking by, they saw it, they like it, they bought it. Then they'll tell someone else. It's, it's a lot like that. Most people who search me are using words like small boutique, um, small business, African clothing, and then they show up. But the bulk of my everyday customers, the males are 50-50 
white and black. So that's that's basically the demographics I have. Do you have uh, many male customers? I, I'm interested in the personal. No, I have a few male. Yeah, because a lot of the male, last year for Fashion Week, we actually did a runway show with men and we'd use male shorts. So we do shorts and shirts and button down Oxford long sleeve, short sleeves, a few t-shirts. So about maybe I would say 20% of my customers are male. And they all came about because their wives came and they liked something. And that's how it all started. And for the man, I do use very muted prints to do the shirt. Not anything wild, very muted, like cross hatches, very muted prints, polka dots and circles. So do you think I need a makeover? Yeah, come in and get a shirt. Uh, Tamara's nodding, I need a makeover. (laughs) Especially now that it's all about very tight shirts. You can untuck my shirts. Remember, you can tuck it in. You should go check out our 2019. I think that would be an awesome field trip for us, Sid. We could go to Mansaware and you could get a makeover. I think Kristen and I could have a lot of fun with that. Yeah. You know what? We'll have we'll have my husband do it too. You and Jim oh, could be I, the models. Yeah, How's that? I'm going to have to go on a diet if it's going to be a tight No, shirt. you don't. That's the beauty of it. It's going to be made to fit you. So you don't have to do a diet. Remember, it's not going to be made to fit just you the way you are. Yeah, so you and Jim won't be able to trade shirts or anything. Yes. You know, like women do. You'll have to, it'll all be custom made. So I do have some ready to wear stuff. It will be all of me plus my cuddle. Yes. I do have some ready to wear stuff that you can pick. So I think where was I in the story? So how I even got interested in designing? So growing up, my mother had tons of dressmakers, coteries, tailors, everybody come in every week. There were people. So my mother married well and married the ambassador of Ghana to the Czech Republic and Poland and everything. So she was constantly. So I think I, by osmosis, I imbibed all the design and fabric learning. I think I picked it up from there. So I became a designer by osmosis. That's the word. You know, I imbibed it. I imbibed it. And that's how I ended up dressing the way I know about colors and print. So I think that's where it actually started. I think that's where a lot of entrepreneurs, where they bring their expertise, that's where they get their expertise. They don't even know, you know, so they, they've picked things up along the way from previous jobs, from yeah. family members, from watching their parents do whatever. And then when they get into the position, they're like, oh, this job helped prepare me by whatever. So you're experience is what makes you the expert, basically. So that's how I get it. Then I let me see how I actually started Mansaware. Oh, so I was doing the travel. So every time I go to Ghana, people will say, oh, can you bring me this? So I will start getting people's stuff. When I was on my um, trip to Ghana, I'll do a trunk show before I go to a trip. So that's how the Mansaware started. Then I think 2010, I was at a picnic and Mary Child, she used to write the fashion column for the DNC. She's not here anymore. So she saw me at an event and then tracked me down and wrote a story about me. It was a huge article. And as I still remember the day, November 10th, 2010 edition of the DNC. I was like, I was the front page of it. So that exposed me to a lot of people. I started getting calls and, you know, I started having people come to my house. So I decided, okay, I'm going to see 2012. So I'm going to see whether this is a business that I need to figure out. Or, you know, I just didn't want to start a business. It's just your friends having pity upon you, just buying your stuff. So I said, okay, Fashion Week would be the ideal spot. So this second year of fashion week that was 2012 instead of doing a runway show i decided to become a vendor at that time so fashion week every year they used to do it in a different location 
And so they will have different formats, whether some of them are vendors, some of them didn't. So 2012, they did it at the Memorial Gallery. And so they had vendors come in. I signed up as a vendor, collected everything I've ever done for anybody and have them displayed and decided to see how people react. Because the people coming to fashion shows are all from the suburbs. They are people who will never be in my circle. We don't, you know, it's a Venn diagram, two circles we never meet. And so I wanted to see if this particular crowd that will be coming in for Fashion Week like my stuff. And that was a good gauge. If they did, because they would never see me, then it's a good gauge that this, it's more broader than just my circle of friends who see me every day. And it obviously went well because yeah, you've been able to expand and do things. Because when you started, didn't you start with just the custom-made I did. Outfits. Yeah. So when I opened the shop, actually, it was just the fabrics because I figured, oh, people are going to pick the fabric and make the dress. Then it took me six months to realize people were coming, they love it, and they walk off. And then it suddenly hit that they cannot figure out what the print will look like in a dress. So then I started making samples. So if somebody ordered something, I'll make two of it. So there'll be one hanging in the shop to show People, oh, this is what it looks like. Fashion week, I'll make two of everything, right? So it became still sample, but what it was is the sizes were limited. It became the sizes that models were wearing, six, eight, not not the really true average size of the average person. Right, that's what the sample sizes are. And now what I'm trying to do is, after the MCC, what I won the grant for is to start my ready-to-wear collection. I see, okay. And it's the sizes is based on the people I've actually done stuff on people who come in. So it's actually sizes that reflect in what comes through the door. Start sizes from 12 to 2X. Okay. Yeah. Well, and that's important because those are real sizes. Yeah. I mean, that's that's what real women and men right. are, you know, exactly based on costume. So that's that's what I'm playing. So did you have a question? <laughs> uh, no, I'm I'm listening intently. I, I'm I'm fascinated. Uh, it's an area that I do not have expertise in. Therefore, rather than show a tremendous amount of my ignorance, I'm listening. I'm learning. I, I'm taking notes. And I'm hoping that I'll be able to jump in with wise comments uh, shortly. Uh, Nita, how how did you get involved with the MCC uh, launch your business program? Did your score mentor mention that or Tamara? I think you did. Oh, okay. That I think I might have. <laughs> you did because we were talking about something, and I don't remember where we were. And you mentioned, oh, you were just at the MCC doing something. I said, oh, is this something for MCC MCC people? And said, well, I think you don't know, but. I should just oh. check online. So I just went online. Oh, looked it up, I and now I know. Now I know what you're talking about. I was teaching yeah. a class for RIT. Right. It was you were something. at Q and I mentioned that I yes. just finished up with the program. Exactly. That's what it was. Okay, cool. Uh, and C said she listened to me and she looked it up and I, she entered. She got accepted into the program. Actually, I looked it up and they said, oh, it's done. But give, leave your name. Somebody will contact you. I said, okay. And, to, and then they said, I got three months later, I got the email. Well, if you want to apply, it's here. We accept an applications. Yeah, yes. I'm trying to think, where did you and I first meet, uh, Nita? We met at, the, you know, Virginia Smith. Oh, yes. Finance yes. boot camp for women boot camp finance. That's correct. That's how we met. That's yeah. a few years ago now. Yeah, I know. Crazy. And our, our, and our first conversation was about dictators of Western. And Jamie Rollins. <laughs> 
That's yeah. right. Oh. Yeah, that's how we met. But you Virginia's SBA, right? Because she was the SBA. She was she is, the um, yeah, SBA. Because I had just tried to, Carla, Carla Vasquez, who's now at ESNL, was at the SBAs. So That's it correct. was through Carla that I think my name popped up on the Virginia. Yes, the financial boot camp run by the Small Business Association is an annual event. In fact, I started teaching it this year, I believe, another one. Oh, in really? February, but because of COVID, COVID, it was decided to just put it on hold as opposed to do it online because, right. you know, back in March, nobody knew how long we'd be shut down. And everybody was optimistic that, oh, maybe by May or something, this up might we'll all be, be over. Yeah. Turns out that may not be over until next May. Uh, let's hope that's not optimistic. Yeah, actually, that's how I met Bob Geraci. Okay. Bob Geraci came in too. He did one of the sessions. Now he's That's, very good. They, yeah, he is. He's a very good yeah. presenter and mentor. And the SBA does do, they've got fantastic programs as well. It sounds like you're taking advantage of all the programs that are offered or most of the programs that are offered in Rochester for the small business owner, which I think is fantastic. Yeah. And I think every small business should do it. It's just, if you don't take it, you get so overwhelmed with the day-to-day. So right now I got to the point where I finally decided enough, I'm just going to pay somebody the $4,000 to do a website because it gets to the point. I'm like, I need to be selling dresses. That's it. That's all I need to do. I should not be touching my website. Nita, one of the things that we like to do on this show is we, we tend to like a little bit of the backstory and how you got started. And in particular, what advice would you of today give yourself 10 years ago? Because now you have the benefit of, of hindsight. So that's one thing that we'd like to discuss. And the, the other thing that we'd like to discuss is what fears did you have initially, if any, about starting your own business? So I will answer the fears. I'm now having the fears. I never had it before because I had a job. At the end of the month, I knew my own salary could, I could push my own salary in. So the first four and a half years, I did it part-time, but I was never afraid I couldn't pay anything because I pushed my own man. Now I have the fear that, oh, how am I going to survive? Because this is my only income. So that's okay. the fear. So I'm having the fear now instead of before. So it's kind of funny. Right? Yeah, that's generally the opposite way around. Yes, but for me, because... I, because of the um, tour company, I had realized that I need to be working and doing this part-time. Whereas with the tour company, I just left Kodak and dived straight into it, right? And then when it didn't, when we realized it wasn't going to work, I just folded. You know, I actually didn't fold it. I just let it hang. And so that company became the main structure. And Manso is a DB under that. So right? this, uh, this fear you have, uh, this is partly due to covid uh, partly due to the economy and partly due to reduced diversity of income. Yes, with this, this is my only income, no reduce. It's so until next year where the business plan calls for me paying myself a little bit. Right now I'm living off of my savings. I see. I know. So it's like this year is real, it's palpable, right? So the other advice is I'll do the same thing I did, except that I'll make sure I have a huge, a bigger home equity. You need so much of your own money, other people's money, that it, you know, I just started getting loans and grants because no bank is going to give you anything unless 
you can prove that you can have the revenue. And the SBA is great. They'll give it to you, but you have to start paying immediately. So if you don't have anything coming in, how are you going to pay the loan? So I ended up using a home equity, which was very flexible. So the advice I'll give anyone, if you have something like a home equity, tap into it. Take Mitt Romney's advice. Go to your daddy. Sad as it is. It's true. Was that Mitt Romney's advice? I never forgot it. It stabbed into my head. He was, this is during the Barack Obama and him finding out. He gave a speech and I never forgot because it was so true. It's like, he is right. You're not going to start a business without quote unquote free money. The only free money you get is from your family. Hmm. I mean, you use daddy, but either it's your family or something flexible like a home equity that, you know, you can use it as you like without being hounded to pay it back, structured like a, a term loan or commercial business loan. Yes, in general, borrowing money from friends and family can be a, a very rapid way to lose both. Oh, that's why I said go to your daddy. You oh, can't lose okay. your daddy, can you? <laughs> They're stuck with you. Yeah. I just use, when I when I started mine, I just used savings. Uh, I know I've discussed this before that uh, I had, I, I was lucky I had savings, but what I had not ever sort of encountered was the fact that month after month after month after month, yes, I had less savings. Yes, <laughs> yes, that's what that's the position I'm in now. I was like, oh, okay, the money's true. <laughs> uh, and that's when you get the sleepless nights, or you sleep soundly until 3 a.m., and then you wake up and think, let me do the math again. How long do I have before this boat sinks? And, and what happened? What's happening to me is I don't. I sleep, but I realize, oh, my hairline, I have a little bald spot. It's like, oh, yeah, that's where it's from. Well, you can tell that my bald spot grew. Yes, your bald spot grew quite a bit, but you both were able to turn it around. I mean, I know, Nita, you're in the process of turning it around because you're coming back from COVID like everybody else. Yeah. And, and Sid, you were able to turn your situation around as well. But with Sid's situation is different because you had a long, long sales cycle. I did. My sales cycle right. was roughly two years. So what that meant was that uh, basically I kept paying and paying my, myself in terms of not a salary, but all the travel expenses I had and living expenses on the firm belief that in two years' time, I would succeed and I would make some sales. Right. Now, the downside of that, and that's what keeps one awake, is if you're in sales, you're never guaranteed the sale. Right. You're simply not. And it would take two years to find out whether I wasted two years of money or not. It did take a little while. Hence the uh, the growing bold spot, which has now um, totally encompassed my head. It's And it's a challenge for every business owner. I know I get excited when I get a new client. They haven't signed, but they've promised, right? Yeah. And so yeah. now in my head, I'm spending all that on different expenses. I can get this tool now. I can do this. I can do that. And my husband is in sales as well. And he tells me the same thing, Sid. It's not done until you get the signed contract and the check. So yes. until you, they start sending you that first payment, you we can't spend that money. Well, you, it's not you truly done until they want to be a reference for you. But oh, think- there you go. That's even better. Yeah. The other thing I think I would say, tell anyone is the business will change. Yeah. But your vision should not change. Okay. So whatever your vision is, stay with it. It should not change. So when I think my long vision of Mansaware is, and I'm going to make an analogy that I may not make sense. I think of it like guacamole and avocados. 
People think of guacamole as an American cuisine. It's not. But it's so embedded. We don't even think about it. We think guac, right? We even call it guac. We think it's a part of the American cuisine, but it's really Mexican. At least people I know. Well, we have it in all kinds of stuff because it's become so... When 7-Eleven starts selling guacamole, you know it's mainstream. And Walmart. Yeah. But so that's what, that's how I see Mansawe go in that. People would just pick up their Mansawe stuff, wouldn't even think about it, and just it, because they... They, it can blend so easily what they have. That's how I think. That's the vision. I want it to become so mainstream. I'll look for it in 7-Eleven. I look for it. As, no, look for it at Walmart. When no, 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 Nita. I know. <laughs> well, I'm no. just saying. No. I can't, because right now, I can't figure out anywhere you can mention or Amazon. Amazon. Well, we can get you into different distribution channels. Right, right, right. I do have um, a few more questions for you. Uh, and again, generally like the origin stories. And that is, when you were growing up in Ghana, did you ever have a vision of yourself as an entrepreneur and a world traveler? World traveler, yes, because I left Ghana at age seven. Okay. To travel. So it was always traveling. Not as an entrepreneur, but maybe heading my own corporation. I used to read a lot of, remember those Mills and Boone books? Sid, you probably remember them from Barbara Cartland. I'm drawing a blank. You're drawing a blank. It was, it's, it would be the same as, you know, all these romance novels, Tamara, what would the version be in America? Oh, the Harlequin romance? Yeah, it's like the Harlequin romance. There you go. Harlequin romance. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, once again, was, I'm drawing a blank. <laughs> I'm sorry. I always imagine myself heading one of these massive corporations, like one of those characters in it. But anyway, but no, not not um, not as my own. Into, no, that I never imagined. Traveling, yes, I knew I'll always be traveling somewhere. When in your life did you get the first glimpse that you were going to be an entrepreneur? When I moved here, right in two thousand. But it didn't really click until about two thousand and four. Two that when. You know, my friend said, hey, you need to really think about it. We could get you angel funding. That's when it really clicked. People actually would love to wear this and buy it. Do you think it's easier to be an entrepreneur in the United States than most other countries? I don't know, because remember, my grandmother owned her own business. Okay, yeah. Right? One of my uncles also had a factory producing oil. So, I, you know, I saw them doing that. My grandmother ended up marrying my grandmother, Mansa. With her third husband, they... They ran a nightclub, like a pub, a um, couple of inns. I always saw her, and then she always had a retail shop. So just from my grandmother's perspective, I always, you know, she owned her own business. I'm often curious about that because, like you, I, wa- I wasn't raised here in the United States. And so I sometimes find it very hard to wonder if I'd stayed in the UK, would mm-hmm. I be operating a business? And I guess I will never know the answer. So that's why I was curious. And actually, if I had to say, because one of my uncles went back to Ghana, relocated back to Ghana, he built, started building malls and he has a very, very successful mall in Accra. Massive. That um, he started, you know, he started building like European type malls, you know, like a strip mall, three-story buildings, right? And he started adding on to it. A whole swing has been taken over by Manchester University Satellite Office, Satellite School, yeah, and it's just like every year I go back, the thinnest mushroom. He was the civil servant, give and take, working. And then one day he decided, that's it. I'm going back. He just sold all his property and just moved back to Ghana. Interesting. Well, it's on my list of places to visit, actually. All right. Let me know when you're going to go. Maybe you can go with me in March when I get my grant money. I'm going oh, to my maybe, maybe. And do my production. Because as you know, um, years ago, I had a roommate uh, that was from Ghana. And that's how I I learned a lot about Ghana. In fact, I had a roommate from the Cameroon and Nigeria. And um, 
if there's one thing that I, I began to realize is that I met many Ghanaians, uh, and maybe you can comment on this, but in general, they have a tremendously positive attitude, uh, cheerful, uh, always laughing. I mean, is that a characteristic of Ghana? Yes, and I think if there was Olympics medal given in um, smiles and laughter, we will win. Well, that's, I, I think that's it. awesome. That's not a bad medal to have. I wanted to ask you, Anita, uh, about your experience with SCORE, because you've had a couple of SCORE mentors and you've, you've sat in on workshops. So you've kind of run the gamut of a lot of the things that SCORE has to offer. What has your experience been like? All my experience have been 150%. And it's been positive. The dedication of the score mentors, the the knowledge and expertise. So during the MCC program, I had two, a female and a male. And it was sitting down with me. Now, remember, I have an MBA from Georgetown, worked in corporate America. So you come do your own business and you realize, you know, it takes so much just to get it going. And you wonder how does it work? And I have mentors literally sit down painstakingly going over my cash flow statement. And I don't know where you could get that kind of attention to detail help from from any organization. And it's free. It's really mind boggling. You know, it's like the people, score mentors are like on a call. So not only that, that we go through it and then it's like, okay, we got to do this. Then I got my accountants in to come and reset all my books. It's just the time, the dedication, the discipline, and the sheer always looking at the big picture. So, you know, my score mentors, all of them have been at the shop, seen what it looks like, look at my inventory, where I'm going. It's just the attention to detail, the dedication they bring, the discipline, the expertise. I cannot say enough about the organization. I knew of score because I've seen, you know, I've downloaded your template once, your business plan template many, many moons ago. But then to get to work with someone and how the templates really interlinks and work, it's amazing. I'm impressed with the whole organization. I didn't realize how sophisticated and how um, how generous. Yeah, really generous of people just giving their time. Yeah, we try. We aim to please, you know. I mean, I, as a mentor and a workshop presenter, I enjoy watching the business owners come in and get those aha moments. Mm -hmm. And I enjoy watching them go from idea to fruition, you know, and and seeing that different part of the journey and being their cheerleader, you know, and and telling them, giving them the right information. I always think too, that part of our job as mentors, you know, because information you can get anywhere, Right. right? A lot of that you can just Google, you can go Google anything I teach in my classes, but as a mentor, they can then distill it down for you and tell you how that information is going to fit in your business right. specifically for you right. aligned with your values and your beliefs and your mission and your vision for your business in your community, because the information is good, but if you can't implement it to your specific business, it's really not that good. <laughs> that was in one of the classes I took through my score to introduce me to another score mentor who was given a marketing thing in Arizona and was really interested, you know, finally it's like, oh, this is how you tie your marketing to sale. You know, it was a wonderful um, seminar. Mm-hmm. And I think I've had one on Facebook. Maybe you send the link where it was a score and it was Facebook and all you do is Facebook. It was, I think it was a score. It was at one of the score affiliates chapter. It was a link that I received in the mail. I think that's one of the things uh, a lot of people forget sometimes with SCORE, which is that you may be assigned one mentor, you may work with one or two mentors, 
Uh, but once you're in the system, you have access to 10,000 mentors mm-hmm. and all have um, different areas of relevant experience and knowledge. And it's not too difficult to actually find a perfect fit. Yeah, I think and- Tamara is contacted from people all over the U.S. Is that right, Tamara? It is. It is. I have a long queue of people waiting for me to mentor them. And I have to get back to them. It's it's finding time to plug them into my calendar because I don't like to say no. And mm-hmm. I don't like to not help people um, because they have some specific questions for my expertise of social media and digital marketing, which is why SCORE is always looking for mentors too that have that expertise so that we can spread it around. You mentioned the SCORE chapter in Phoenix doing that marketing workshop, mm-hmm. the digital marketing workshop. And I sat in on that at yeah. one point and yeah. I was really impressed with the information that they gave, because it's quite different from what we do, which is good because it gave you a different perspective and they gave you formulas, like you said, Mm -hmm. to figure out your market size and things like that stuff that I'm not good with math. I'm good with the strategy. I'm good with the tactics, which is why that's what my workshops and stuff are based on. I love the fact that SCORE can connect you all across the United States with different workshop presenters, even on the same topic, but you'll get a different perspective that you can bring back to your business. Yeah, it's a good... So it's a, how do, how does the average person hear of score? I mean... Actually, actually, it's word of mouth. And I was just at our monthly meeting, I always highlight how we're getting the word out. And so we do the, we get the word out through this radio show. Mm-hmm. We get the word out through our alliance partners across the city. So like the SBA and the banks and, you know, things like that. Uh, some of the community organizations like Graba, the Greater Rochester Black Business Alliance, we're part of RWN, Rochester Women's Network, RPCN, all of those types okay. of the Urban League. Uh, all of those people will refer people to SCORE when it's the right fit because of our alliance with them. But the biggest one is coming from friends and relatives. So it's still very much a word of mouth thing. So what I'm looking at is constructing a word of mouth strategy, because I've been learning about that, that there's actually a strategy behind getting that out there and coming up with what my friend Jay Baird calls talk triggers. So we'll be working on that in the coming year. But that's how people find out about us. It's it's like people like you that are talking about their great experience with the SCORE mentor and the information and insight that you can't really get anywhere else. You know, even though some of your mentors may not have had retail experience or they may not have had fashion experience or anything like that, they have process They have systems, they know inventory, they know international trade, they know, you know, and all of those bits and pieces come together to help you move your business forward. What's the dial for score radio? What's the... For this, this radio station is WRFZ and it's 106.3. It's on the FM dial and you can listen to it when you're in Rochester and we'll send you a link that you could stream it. You actually might hear it better if you stream it on the internet. So it's 106.3. Are you Mm -hmm. on, what time would this, because I wanted to share it with my networks for people want to... Yeah, this... This show will air on, um, it'll be Tuesdays from five to six, and I'll get you the date when this show will air. Yeah, but if you give me also the internet link, then I will mm-hmm. share it. I'll put, because I like to put on my social media. Absolutely. That's what I was doing today. Watch we'll send you more than the uh, the link. Uh, yeah. We'll send you essentially what's known as a thumbnail. Okay. It'll Perfect. have a picture of you on it. It'll have the topic. Good. have how you log on be uh, forwarded to you probably in a week or so or probably a week before uh, the show airs 
Oh, good. Good, good. Okay, good. That'll be perfect. So I can send it out. So that means if it's on the internet, then I can send it out global. So yes. anybody can hear it. Okay. In fact, we do have fans that listen in the UK, don't we, Sid? We do. We do. <laughs> we're trying to actually get to every continent, but we know that we're listening to the US, possibly Canada. I'll have to check with a couple of people that said they would log in and definitely in the UK as well. Because my siblings are in the UK, so I would like to have them listen. To Whereabouts me. in the UK are they? They live by my sister's houses by between Stockwell and Kennington. Okay. In London proper, yeah. Yeah. That's where our house is. I lived in London for 10 years. And I actually lived there. I I know London pretty well, like I know New York City really well. Because I worked when I was a management consultant and lived in Chelsea for a long time. Lived in Chelsea. Yeah. You know, when you go on a consulting gig, you know, everything is on the man. (laughs) I was living at the Broad Hotel and I couldn't take hotels anymore because I couldn't roast plantains in the oven. I'm like, that's it. I need to find an apartment. I'm sick of hotel food. So, well, after the show, we'll have to have a chat of uh, yeah, where yeah, we really hang out in London. And I worked at offices where in the cities. Yeah, I worked in Kensington. Oh, well, that's great. Yeah, our, we aim, but we aim to do one better than a lot of podcasts. We want to be listened to in, in Antarctica. Right. All right. Yeah, that's our goal. That's our big, hairy, audacious goal is to get a listener in Antarctica. So, Sid, you're going to have to work on that. You're the one who's got connections there. Yes, I still know some people that go to the Antarctic. And uh, yes, let me. I'm still working on that one because right. that that would be really cool that would be so that we could say that we're on ultimately on all of the continents that's what we're gonna shoot for. And I, yeah and actually in europe we should should give me the link to geneva because I, I when i was in college i worked for the who the world health organization so every summer i went to work in geneva and so i have an adopted family there so we need to send oh. them the link too so they can oh that's fantastic yeah what's under the link you can send it to yeah, anybody and if they anybody. yeah if they have internet they can you they know can. they can listen yeah ask them to write in to tell us that they were listening so i they- will okay yeah that's that's yeah. the proof yeah absolutely well anita i want to thank you very much for being on our show for being with us on Rethinking Business, Success Sauce and Two Pickles. Sid, do you have any parting thoughts for our listeners? No, I I think this has been very, very entertaining, first of all, but informative as well. And and this is what we aim for. Uh, I like the fact that we can catch up with people we haven't seen for a a little while. I think the Mm -hmm. last time I saw you might have been two years ago or something. So it's nice to see you thriving uh, again, I can't believe that we've been on for an hour. This is I know time it has just flown fast. by. I you know, know the time went by real fast. So yeah, yeah, we try yeah, to make a lot it... of fun to chat. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we try to make it go by fast. Nita, do you have any parting words you'd like to say to our listeners? Well, the only thing is, if you're out there trying to start your own business, go for it. Don't let the environment deter you. Call me. I will give you any words of advice I could give. A lot of people mentored me and got me here. So I'm there for anyone out there who needs help. Well, thank you. And speaking of which, I was just going to ask you that. How can people find you or find Mansoware? I am located at 367 Park Avenue and it's 367 Park Avenue. The cross street is Oxford Street. I'm right across from Magnolias and next to Half Pint. Or you can reach me by phone, 585-267-9960. Once again, it's 585-267-9960. Or you can reach me at nita at mansaware.com. 
or go to mansaware.com and shoot us an email or any of the social media platforms. It's Mansaware on, on any of the social media platforms. You can also search by Nita Brown. That's right. great. Thank you and happy holidays. Yes, happy. Happy, happy Kwanzaa, happy Hanukkah. Yes, thank you. And thank you very much for being our guest. And that about does it for us. If you're looking for mentoring for your small business, uh, feel free to reach out to SCORE. You can find us at uh, greaterrochester.score.org. Just click on find a mentor and put in your zip code and you'll be connected with the closest SCORE chapter in your area. So until then, uh, we will see you guys next week and be good to yourselves and be good to each other. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to another episode of Rethinking Business, Success Sauce, and Two Pickles. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We really appreciate that effort, and we'll catch you in the next episode.